Welcome to episode 55 of the How Did Happen podcast, hosted by Mike Malatesta. In this episode, Mike welcomes Peg Ann, a former co-owner of the Empire Level Corporation, the CEO of Life Moves LLC, a mogul on the TV show Project Pitch It, and an incredibly generous philanthropist. Growing up with modest means, Peg started working early and held a multitude of jobs before graduating from high school. After having her first child, she got her first big break, a third shift manufacturing job that provided her the means to support her family. She advanced quickly and was always willing to say yes to any new opportunity or position that came her way. Her hard work paid off when she and her husband were provided the opportunity to purchase first a part and later the rest of the Empire Level Manufacturing Company. She talks extensively about that journey. I'm Joe Danucci, Mike's podcast producer and blog collaborator, and I've got a quick favor to ask. If you like what Mike's doing with this podcast, please consider taking less than a minute to rate it on Apple Podcast or wherever you like to listen. You can rate it right through the app on your phone. And if you've got a little bit more time, please leave a comment. It will help us keep the show relevant and interesting for you. Thank you. Mike and Paige cover a ton of great stuff in this episode, including her unplanned pregnancy and marriage when she was 19, how she sees the frog as a symbol of her life journey, why she became a beauty school dropout, and how she learned to embrace her dyslexia and take advantage of her creative thinking abilities. Third shift is a hard shift, I'll tell you that, especially with kids. I didn't get much sleep. Time went on, and I, I guess I did okay at that job, and the supervisor quit. So I went and applied for that. People work up to the amount of work that's placed in front of them. That's something I learned. Put a big pile in front of them because everybody naturally wants to do a good job, and they're going to try really hard to finish that pile. And so I would do that out in the plant. And they'd say, Peggy, come over here. I beat your rate. Yeah, they were so happy. And I'd do a new time study based on that, and I'd hire the rate because they could do better. And sometimes rates were hired three times. This episode is brought to you by Hello Water. Hello Water is fiber-infused with zero sugar, five grams of fiber, with five inspiring flavors. A fun and fresh delivery system to help curb appetite and promote gut health. Smile, laugh, live, love, and dance your way to a healthy lifestyle. Visit HelloWater.com to find a retailer near you. Hello Water. Inspire health. Thank you for being a How Did Happen listener. Please subscribe at MikeMalatesta.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Please enjoy Peg Ann. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Uh, uh, today, I am so pleased, as you heard in the, in the introduction, to have Peg Ann on the, on the podcast with me today. Um, you're, gonna, you're in for a treat because uh, this, this woman has just a fantastic story that she ended up sharing with me, oh, I don't know, about a month ago or so when we, when we met for the first time. Uh, well, I had actually met her briefly at uh, an event for Project Pitch It, where, where Peg is on the, um, the mogul panel. And uh, we followed up and had a great conversation. I thought, oh my gosh, I got to get Peg on the podcast. So Peg, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited. Well, as am I. <laughs> and uh, I know we got a lot to cover. So but I want to start the way I start every one of my shows, which is with a simple question. How mm -hmm. did it happen for you? It was a journey. That's how it happened. And if I can start, I'm going to 
tell you, um, everyone has their own story to start with. And my, I carry a symbol with me every single day that reminds me of my story and my journey. And this is a ring I designed years back after reading a book on certain animals in Native American folklore and what they mean. And I wanted something like a post-it on my hand to constantly remind me that I'm on a journey. Uh, I chose the frog for my daily reminder. A frog represents transition and transformation. A frog starts in the water, then goes through the land, to the land and through its life goes back and forth in between land and water. My frog is about my life's journey. I, my frog is trying desperately to get into a safe and sturdy place so it can reach the rock. You see, it, there's a pad, two pads in the front, and one is slipping on the rock and the other one is desperately grabbing for the rock. And the back two pads, one is firmly planted on the reeds and the other one is slipping on the slippery slope of life's reeds. And I get a daily reminder of this and um, the eyes that I've put in it mean a safe journey. And that's the start of my frog story, so. How did you come to choose the frog? Did you consider other things? Oh, yes, because okay. I'm a very visual person. I wanted a snake or a lizard. I love vintage jewelry. I wanted to be really creative with it. I never thought frogs were cute or anything else, but... When I read the story of the frog, I went, that, that's me. Uh, that's a lot of people, yeah. but that's me. And I want to constantly be reminded that this is all part of my journey. And where were you in your life when you adopted the frog as the symbol of your journey? That's... It was about 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you were far into mm -hmm. or near the end of your first business, right? Or your manufacturing? Yes. Company. Yes. Okay. I still own my manufacturing company. Right. Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure about that. About that. So the, I'm just curious now, how, how do you go about designing and then getting a piece of jewelry made? Well, I worked with a local jeweler on the design. And so I have the drawings and what they each meant. And I really got into it, like with the pads on the front and the back. No, it has to be this way. It, it's not sturdy. It's hanging on for dear life because it can't quite make it. And that back pad is really trying to hold on while the other one is slipping. Yeah. And that's just kind of the way life is. So um, just an interesting side note, I happen to have two, at least two frogs that live in the lake right outside of my uh, house. And they uh, they have a conversation with each other uh, all all day and all night. It's uh, it's, and I actually tried to catch the one because I wanted to try to just see them and move them, and they're fast. They're they, hard to catch. They're they're really <laughs> hard to catch. And I hope I can tell this little story because I was in Naples a week ago, and I have a terrace off of my bedroom, 
And I woke up, and there was a frog as big as a grapefruit. So maybe it was really a toad. I'm not sure. But it was hopping across my bedroom floor, and it hopped into the bathroom. And I thought, what am I going to do with this frog? My dogs are going crazy. i got to think of something to do to get the frog back outside. And I got my stuff out of the room and the dogs. And then I went and got a pool skimmer, but I didn't do what most people would do. They'd try and flip it on the frog and stop the frog. Yeah. Okay, instead... I open another door that's on my terrace, and I guided the frog out the door. I shut both of the doors, and the frog came back up to the original way he entered my room and just sat there. And I thought, am I going through something again? I don't know the last time I've seen a live frog. But there it was, and I took a picture of it. You're like the Pied Piper without the music, guiding the frog back to... I don't know. It was just a strange thing. So when we met and and talked about your life, you started... um, You didn't didn't necessarily start out in a way that it was clear that you were going to become the success you've become. Uh, Is that a fair... Yes. In fact... I can take it a step even farther than that. I still do not feel successful. Um, I've accomplished a lot in my life, but I don't feel successful. The manufacturing company was very successful, and we had it for the third, fourth, and fifth generation after we purchased it. But it was so easy for me, and I always had this thing in my head that Success must be associated with, you know, really being tough and hard. And I, I never felt like I worked. It was a joy. Okay. Well, let's get into that a little bit because I'm pretty sure that the people around you thought that you, they probably couldn't imagine how much, how you could work so much and not feel like it was work. Right. And I was really, really young to get into this, too. So I have to do a little backup on how I got to the factory even. So um, when I was about two years old, my parents split, and I never saw my father again. So my mother became a single parent with two daughters and no child support. Life wasn't easy. I only had a grandmother because my mother had no siblings, and her father died the same year. So I had no grandfather and no relatives at all on my father's side because all of that disappeared with them splitting. Um, I don't remember things like my mother giving me a lot of attention and a lot of hugs and those kind of things. Um, I remember her voice scared me a lot. And at two, I had the responsibility of keeping an eye on a baby sister who was just a few months old. Um, So along with that, I started to develop post-traumatic stress, but did not know it at the time, but it was the start. Um, 
And there's a lot more women that have it from betrayal and abandonment, and that's why I I have it. I felt like my mother abandoned me too, and she eventually did, but my father abandoned me, and his whole family did. So that's a lot of people. Do you have any memories of, of him? Two's kind of young, I'm thinking. No, yeah. I have no memories, but I have I hear my mother's voice, and all she would say was, we don't get child support. And I, I knew where they got married in Chicago. That's all I knew about okay. him. Okay. Um, and I miss having a family. When people say, I'm going out to dinner with my parents, I go, I've never been out to dinner with my parents in my life. It just sort of occurs to you all of a sudden. Yeah, it's such a natural sort of normal, right. quote unquote, normal thing. A normal thing yeah. that I never had. Um, as I start more into my story, I want you to know my greatest fear is depression from this post-traumatic stress. And I'm also lucky enough to have situational depression, ADD, OCD, I'm, and I'm dyslexic. You got everything. I got everything. Yeah. But dyslexic's a good thing. Can so, be. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my mother was strong and harsh and I don't remember birthday parties. I don't remember birthday cakes. I don't remember any of that. I do remember one event, and it was at the babysitter's home. In her kitchen was an iron sitting on an ironing board. I was about six, and I knew not to touch that iron, but I needed to know it for myself. I needed proof. I'm, I'm a visual person and all my senses helped me decide something and so I couldn't quite believe it if I didn't feel it and I felt it I put my whole hand on that iron and I had to learn from that to start trusting instead of just relying on my feelings and relying on your feelings only can produce a lot of pain. When I was about six, my mother remarried a really nice man, my stepfather, and he worked two jobs so my mother could be a stay-at-home mom. Um, and I had two stepbrothers at that time, one that lived with us and one that went back and forth between his mother's home and our home. Uh, for whatever reason, my mother did not care for Ricky. That's who lived with us at the time. And um, she was very, very cruel to him. When I was 12 and he was 17, he got he was in the car with his girlfriend teaching her how to drive. And he got hit by a semi-truck and killed. And it wasn't discussed with my sister and I. But I overheard bits and pieces that he was decapitated and what a pain he'd always been to my mother. And my mother was saying this to my stepfather. Hmm. And for a 12-year-old, it's really, I, it should have been discussed openly. 
And I shouldn't have been able to hear stuff like that. Because right. it affects me still today. And then um, after that came high school, and I got really bad grades in high school. Couldn't concentrate, didn't know I was dyslexic. Um, and I had this past memory of about fifth grade taking um, what was then called the Iowa test, standard testing. And my mother couldn't afford a babysitter, so she brought me along to the conference. And I sat in the back of the room, but I could hear what they were saying. And the teacher told my mother I was mildly retarded. Hmm. My mother started telling me I was stupid. So it was like my mother was bullying me. Um, kids that don't learn the same way as a traditional learner are often bullied, but usually it's by their classmates, and they may be called a retard. Or, sure, kids make uh, fun of kids. That, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, mm -hmm. just make fun of them in whatever way. And it ends up putting the child like alone on the playground and stuff and afraid to speak up in class because they're afraid they're going to get laughed at. And so I was that person. I only remember getting laughed at in school once, but I remember many, many times where my mother was telling me how stupid I am. And so um, high school came. I barely made it out of high school. My mother made the decision that all I could be was a beautician. And she rolled me, enrolled me into City College of Cosmetology. And what she didn't realize was that if you can't read in school, you can't read in any kind of school. And I couldn't read and I couldn't spell. And actually that type of schooling is difficult. There's formulas that you have to memorize and things that you have to do for the safety of your customer. Mm -hmm. And I ended up dropping out of that really quick. And so I then got called the beauty school dropout. <laughs> okay. By your uh, mother. By my mother. Um, my mother also, I'm going to say the word, the word cruel. She was cruel um, throughout high school. Uh, if there was a, a dance or something that I was going to, I was told to pose in front of the grand piano. And she said to me that my legs are as big as this 100-year-old grand piano. And I hope I can say this. If my butt ever falls, it's going to reach the floor. And she would say this in front of people. So I got that along with stupid. Um, can I ask you how, what was it like for your sister? How was your not the, with your sister? Not the same. Um, because my mother put so much responsibility on me. It was like almost everything was my fault. Mm. Or I felt that way. And... My sister and I have a lot of the same stories, but we also have different stories. And I discovered this a long time ago. You may live in the same house, the house of your mind, okay? But your own personal home is in there, 
and no one else knows what's in your home but you. And that's how my sister at times has a different way of looking at things because she didn't she didn't live in my home. She lived in the same house with me, but not my home. It's an interesting distinction. Uh, well, it's that way with everybody. Right. Um, people can be at the same place and see a story two different ways. Have two totally different experiences. Yep, right. Is your sister dyslexic? No. Okay. No, she's not. And uh, she was the first to actually, she did much better in school than I did. And not a genius or anything, but she studied. And okay. she became an LPN. So she was the first one in any generation to go to school after high school. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to sort of understand if, you know, if, if, uh, if your mom sort of saw her differently because she was more um, traditional in her learning. Um, well, if you ask my sister, she'll say, Mom did see me differently. You were the favored one. And I oh, got... Oh, that's interesting. Yes. Based on... Okay. Right. I got a lot of attention, but I was getting attention in the wrong All way. All negative attention. Well, negative attention. And my sister wasn't getting attention. Mm. Wow. Okay, complex. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. So, you want me to go on after high school? Yes, I okay. do want you to go on after high school. Okay. Um, after City College of Cosmetology, I was 19 and working in a shoe store. Um, I don't know that most people see it this way, but I did for some reason. Um, I had sex for the first time in my life, okay? It was unplanned, unprotected, un-anything. And wouldn't you know I got pregnant? And so that in change, changed the entire course of my life, getting pregnant at 19. I thought my punishment was to get married, even though I was, this was a loveless relationship. It wasn't even a relationship. But he wanted to get married. His parents wanted us married. I don't think my mother cared either way. But I thought I deserved punishment. And so... Why? Because I did something wrong. I always do something wrong because I'm stupid. I see. Okay. So the marriage lasted long enough for me to have a second daughter. And right after she was born, I knew I was going to get a divorce. I knew that I had to live somewhat of an adult life and not go from my parents' home to a husband's home with nothing in between, no adult experiences, didn't know how to get a credit card, couldn't figure out a checkbook, you know, my math is terrible. Um, so when I wanted a divorce and I said things like, I need to learn to use a checkbook and a credit card, my first husband said, you will. And when we went to court, I got appointed child support, but it wasn't garnished at that time. 
I never received one cent of it. And percentages were high, and I'd take them back to court. And by the time my children were in college, he owed me a half a million dollars. And that's a story, too, because my I was remarried, and my oldest daughter came to me and said, you should, you should forgive him. He's having hard times. He can't even buy a house. And I thought, well, that really didn't help all the suffering I went through and the fact that I had to go get a discounted Christmas tree sometimes and live in a dump. Um, but when I talked to my husband, my current husband, he said, you didn't need it. You needed it then. You don't need it now. We're fine. You don't need it now. Let him go. And so I went to court, and I had it reversed, and it cost me $5,000 to have it reversed. So my former husband, the father of my children, did not have to pay that and would not be held accountable. So let me let me just make sure I have this straight. So for all the time from the divorce up to remarrying when your kids are in college. Yeah. The you had a you had a right to the child support. It wasn't garnished, which means it's voluntary to pay or it's um, not voluntary, but it's he a, was no one takes ordered. no one takes it from right. his his check. And and the amount accumulates to a very a huge a amount of money, which you had to scrape together do, while you needed it. Well, during that's this why whole I worked time. two or three jobs. Right, 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 right. And then you ended up. I mean, your husband says you don't need it. Your daughter says, you know, he's in bad shape. And what was that? What made you think, okay, well, I'll pay my own money to get it reversed? Or was it something else about you that thought? that's the right thing to do. I mean, that's a, that's I, a very noble... I do think you know. it was the right thing to do because I really didn't need it at that time. The time that I needed it was when they were young. And he changed my relationship with them yeah. because at Christmas when I couldn't buy the designer jeans and I had to buy the ones on the rack, my daughter made no... Um, uh, no, uh, she held nothing back. She expressed um, her displeasure. Y- yes, okay. she did. Yeah. She expressed that she couldn't have what the other kids had, huh. which just made me feel worse. You know? um, but they continued to have a relationship with them, and they still do it till this day. Do you? No, uh, I haven't seen him in years. He lives uh, in the northern part of the state. Okay. But I, we have no issues. He's thanked me. He's told me I've been a really good mother. So it's all okay. So your motherhood and your career path, or your path in life um, at the age that that occurred sounds a little like the same path that your mother. Exactly. Yeah. It was this. It ended up being the same path, and so when we go back and I got divorced, I worked at a dry cleaner, a hardware store, cleaning houses, 
And then I applied for a position, a position. That's so funny because now I've been in business for so many years. I applied for a job. Yeah, it was okay. a job. Yeah, sure, sure. I worked in a factory. Position it was a job. Yeah, it's a contemporary term, right? Right. And I got the job because my mother's or my girlfriend's mother worked there. And she said she'd put in the good word for me. Ah, okay. I said, okay, great. And I started on third shift on either working on an assembly line or working at a station alone. And third shift is a hard shift, I'll tell you that, especially with kids. I didn't get much sleep. But um, I had an attitude of, you know, what can happen, what can be the worst thing that happens to me if I ask for something? And I found out through my own thinking, well, they can just say no. I, I'm a good worker, so I can ask for something, and if they say no, they say no. So I asked about the visit, the job no, <laughs> that nice was catch. open <laughs> yes, on um, third shift for an assistant supervisor. And they asked me why I thought I was qualified. And I said, well, I'm a really good worker, and I'll take 50 cents an hour less than what's in the ad in the newspaper. <laughs> I said, you have the job. <laughs> smart. I don't know about smart. I didn't know what to say. Yeah. I had no idea. So that was my mini interview. And it's quick. <laughs> yeah, it was very quick. <laughs> quick, and I was cheap. Um, so... Time went on, and I, I guess I did okay at that job, and the supervisor quit. So I went and applied for that. Same thing. What do you have to lose? All I can remember is walking down the aisle, and third shift has these big, huge lights, and it's so brightly lit, it's like a hospital. And just walking down that aisle, with sweaty hands, going, okay, I'm going to try this again, and what are they going to do? Maybe tell me I'm not qualified and say go back to work. That's, you know, the worst thing that could happen. How did you convince yourself that by asking for something, the worst thing that can happen is someone say no, and that's okay? I don't know where that attitude came from. Because I think that holds a lot of people back. They're afraid yeah. of that if it's if they get a no, they're afraid that somehow that's going to impact them the rest of their right. lives instead yeah. of being just a moment of oh, okay. Yeah. I, I was afraid, but I didn't feel like I had any choices. I didn't have child support. I needed a raise, even mm. if it was a quarter an hour. I needed a raise. I needed to make more money so I didn't have to work as many jobs to support my daughters. And can I back up for one moment and mm -hmm. ask you about your divorce? Because you described your marriage as, in your mind, being a punishment for having gotten pregnant. But after a couple of years, you had the, you decided that you no longer needed that punishment, or you had you somehow came up with you somehow you decided mm -hmm. that that you um, were going to end the marriage. Right. So where did that? Well, I don't know if courage is the right word or how you would describe it, but where did that come from? 
Well, first it came with having the second daughter. I purposely planned that. I didn't, I wanted to be pregnant so my oldest daughter could have a sister. And I see a sister, not a sibling, because I knew even without ultrasounds, I was having a daughter both times. And I didn't want her to be alone. So I waited until I was pregnant and I had my second daughter. And then I went on to get the divorce. And it was tough. I I remember he made good money and I remember sitting in our living room and I was into interior design already at that time. And I had a perfect house. Um, and I had my girlfriends over for a glass of wine, and we were barely legal, so it was pretty young. And at, toward the end of the conversation, I said, oh, I'm getting a divorce. And they were shocked. You're getting a divorce? You just got your new furniture. I said, I know, but it's not the right thing. I can't be in a loveless marriage and it's not a good example for my children, and I'm not in love with their father. Hmm. They need a better example. So okay. well, I hope that, that. answered. Yeah, I'm sorry did for backing answer up on you? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, 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 that did. Okay, so you have, now you have the first shift supervisory position. No, no third, third shift. Third. So still on thirds, yeah, but a supervisor. Third. Yes, okay. I'm a supervisor. And that went on, could be a year all this time, I'm in, I might be 23, 24. I'm pretty young. Mm-hmm. And um, I was going to leave for the day, and that meant uh, punching out with the time clock. And so I was up at the time clock punching out, and the general manager, who I'd never met before because he works during the day, said, I'd really like to talk to you. And I'm What did I do wrong now? Because I always thought I was doing something wrong. That's from how I was raised. You know, what did I do wrong now? I I can't think of anything, but what did I do wrong? And so uh, he brought me into the office, the office office, not one of these little cubicle cages that are out on the floor. On the floor, yeah. Yeah. And he said... We just purchased another very small company, and we'd like to incorporate it into the larger manufacturing company. And it's a hand tool that we don't produce yet, so we purchased this company. And we'd like you to come on first shift and be the supervisor. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. They're asking me to go on first shift for one, I would have went on first shift even not for more money, you know. But I got probably 50 cents an hour more, and I worked off of a metal desk in the middle of this little floor, and uh, 20 at the most employees surrounded me at different operations. A lot of it was handwork. But from that, I learned how to schedule I learned a little bit about human resources. I learned how to order raw materials. I learned how to do shipping. I learned how to do inventory. 
uh, quality control. Now I know that I learned everything you could possibly learn on a small scale, but it could be transferred to a much larger scale. But that was my training for another position. And was that all? Uh, no, my first position. Let's ah, put it that position. way. Okay. So yes. Your graduation I'm going from, from a job, job to, a, to position. a position. So was all of the learning verbal learning for you, or visual learning? Or visual. How did you, okay. uh, visual learning. I did not know at that time because um, it was never talked about. Yeah. I, no, I yeah. doubt if they knew it existed, but I'm dyslexic. Right. Yes. And that's a good thing to me. Um, because a lot of gifts come with that, and I hope to talk about that too today. But yeah, um, yeah, I learned everything visually, every single thing, and that includes like reading people and being sensitive to your surroundings, your environment, and things like that. So I actually learned a little bit more than. A traditional learner would learn in that position because that's the only way I could learn. And so um, I took that job, and apparently I did pretty good at that, too. Um, the next time I was called into the office, which could have been a couple years later, uh, the company was building... Uh, 84,000 square foot, or is that feet? Whatever. <laughs> um, plant. And for the late 70s, early 80s, that was a pretty big deal, especially because the one I started in was more like a garage. Right. And then it got to be a bigger garage. I went into a second one. And now I'm in the office. I'm being invited into the office of the owner of the company, who I had never met. So once again, I go, I must have really messed up. You know, the general manager could have fired me. The production manager could have fired me. Why in the heck am I go getting called into the owner's office? I, I couldn't imagine yeah. why. And never would I think you've been doing something good. You know, I just wanted the security of that little desk in the middle of the floor, and all of a sudden I was really fearful that they were going to take that away from me. So when I went in there, to my surprise, was the general manager, the owner, and the owner said to me, I have heard a lot about you over the last few years. And that's scary, too. Still doesn't tell me why I'm there. Right. And uh, he said, we have an opportunity. And I've thought about it. And I'm really impressed with your work and the way you've went about doing things. And I'd like to know if you're interested in working with the two consultants we've hired to learn time study management and productivity. For an entire year, you'd work with these men, you'd do time studies, and then if 
you're successful at this, you would then become the production manager and your job would be to be over all the supervisors on three shifts, seven days a week, and you'd be training them. And you'd be doing all the scheduling start to finish, just like I was in that little metal desk. So are you interested? And I'm what do I have to lose again is coming into my head. Nobody else is going to ask me this. So I said, of course I'm interested. Um, I can't tell you how much I'm grateful for this opportunity. And the year went on, and it was so easy to me. It was like rearranging your kitchen, you know, just moving things around so people could operate more efficiently and timing it so I knew that it was saving the company time and watching so less scrap was produced. And then people were relying on me on when to order um, raw materials, how long to keep them, when to say our ship date is, all based on what I had learned with these consultants. And... Um, for the people aspect, it wasn't the greatest thing, but my... What um, does that mean? Well, my time studies also, they were so productive that a few people had to be, had to leave. Okay. Because we didn't need as many people as we had. Right, okay. People work up to the amount of work that's placed in front of them. That's something I learned. So... Even with your own staff, um, put a big pile in front of them because everybody naturally wants to do a good job, and they're going to try really hard to finish that pile. And so I would do that out in the plant. And they'd say, Peggy, come over here. I beat your rate. Hmm. I'd hire... With a big smile on their face. Yeah, right? yeah they were so happy. And I'd do a new time study based on that, and I'd hire the rate. Because they could do better. And sometimes rates were hired three times. Um, I love that because you present them with a challenge that they probably feel is overwhelming and they don't want to do it. But you don't back off. And then they figure out a way to um, accomplish your challenge, which they feel good about, right? Yes. But along the way, too, they're actually figuring out how to better what you better your... They wanted to... Up me right. on people the whole are, thing. Because yeah, people are And I wanted them too. Right. Also to do the same exact thing. Right. Progress. People are program I believe. They're programmed mm. for progress. They're just often put in a place where that programming isn't stoked. And if it's not stoked yes. the expectation isn't yes. there, I think you're right. They settle to mm-hmm. less than what they're probably capable of and it feels like it's where they should be as opposed to right yeah and mm-hmm. along with that beating that rate they got praise from me too right. lots of praise which is valuable yes yes wow you beat me hmm yeah i maybe i wasn't doing something right so eventually you end up becoming an owner in this yes. company. Yes. Can you take us there and talk to cuz I mean, what what better story that someone that applies <laughs> for a night shift job 
and then asks for the, you know, it says yes, says yes, says yes, says yes, and the, the end of the story isn't, well, I worked there for 40 years and now I'm retired and whatever. It's, it's a little different, your, your story. Yes, it's not typical. Um, well, it started with, um, uh, I should go back a little bit with the owner. By this time, he was telling me things like, I wish my daughter was more like you. I want this to remain a family business, and she doesn't want anything to do with it. And unfortunately, um, my son is a wild card in this whole thing. I fired him five times already, and you know, I don't know what's going to become of him. He quit engineering school six months before he got his degree, and he got all A's. He just didn't like school and had a genius IQ. So his son had tried courting me, if you call it that, for years, and I had said, no, I can't. I have two daughters, and... I have to keep this on a professional level. I need this job. So now I'm about 27, and I'm already the production manager for the entire company. And there'd be company baseball games, and there'd be company picnics, and he loved my kids. I swear he loved my daughters more than he cared about me. And he always talked with him. He gave him a lot of attention. And so one night he convinced me to go out to dinner with him, and he said we'd make a pretty good team. And I had no idea what that was. Hmm. You know, the first marriage I didn't get a proposal. I sure wasn't getting a proposal with this. this we'd make a good team. I said, I don't know what you're thinking about, but um, this team thing. And he just had this weird look on his face, and I said, oh, my goodness, are, are you asking me if I'd go live with you or something? And he goes, no, I'm asking you if you'll marry me because I think we'd make a good team. And then I went, oh, whoa, I need to really think about this. How, and long, did you, how long did you? Socially only. Right. Five years. Yeah. So by the time we ended up getting married, I was 32. Um, but from the first time you agreed to go on a date. Oh, oh, he wanted it quick. His father, I'm, I feel like his father was my real father. I mean, I, he passed away um, less than a year after we purchased the company. So he never got to see our success. Hmm. So about five years went by, and, um, but it was these little social things until he asked me in January, and when I thought about it, I thought, can you do this again? Can you enter into another loveless marriage for your daughters? And I went, I think I have to. I think... I'll never be able to put my kids through college or get some of the other things. I think I'm going to have to choose my children and enter another marriage. And that's exactly what I thought. Um, 
Now, five years after that is when his father came to me, not to us, to me. And he said, my son is still the wild child. He's still out there racing motorcycles and not showing up at work half the time and whatever, but you're the steady one. And as you well know, our company has been asked multiple times over the years to be purchased by another company. I said, I know that. And he said, well, we'd like to keep it in the family. And now you're in the family. Do you think that if we loaned you the money for 60% of the company at 8.5% interest, $12 million, that you could handle that and my son? I said, yes, I can do that. I can do that. And we signed on the dotted line knowing that the house we didn't really own, which had a $200,000 mortgage on it, might not be ours. Um, you know, we had to, that was our only collateral in our cars. You know, we were in debt. Uh, just because his father wasn't didn't mean we were not in debt. Right. Was it an immediate yes, Peg, or no. were you thinking about, oh, no. yeah? Um, it was not an immediate yes. I didn't ever picture myself married. When I was a little girl, I wanted to be an artist in Paris. So it was like, how am I getting into my second marriage when I never thought about the long white dress? It didn't occur to me. It's not something I wanted. So... His mother always wanted to plan a wedding. So I said, okay, you can plan our wedding. All I did was go get the dress. Hmm. I wanted no part of the whole thing except for to get it over with. That was it. And she did a great job and did plan the entire thing. And the, the years were good. Randy um, developed some patents with his close to an engineering degree and that helped a lot with our personal income but it also helped pay some of the debt down and then about five years after that his sister who owned the other 40 percent but wasn't really active could see how well we were doing and she was a financial advisor she asked if we would buy her out and she asked Randy. She didn't ask me. And he came to me later that day and said, what do you think? For 40%, she wants the same amount of money as the 60%. So that's over $12 million again, and we're not done paying down the first part. Right. But now she's not going to lend us the money. Now we have to go to the bank and see if we can get our own loan. And it's a good thing we were doing a good job. It was a good thing we were a good team because I stuck to the factory and he stayed mostly in the office inventing. He was not a good people person. He wasn't great with sales. I took over kind of some of that social stuff that's connected with that. And... Um, 
we did make a good team. So what I said to him was, do not have our business appraised. Do not have it appraised. Go to your sister and tell her you'd really like to buy the company. And do not argue at all about it because I know we can do this. And I don't want you to risk your relationship with your sister because we're going to do a lot more than this. How did you know? I just could feel it. I'm a sensitive person. I work hard. I, I can see when we're doing a good job. And we were. Um, and I didn't want him to ruin his family relationship with his sister. It wasn't great to begin with. They weren't real close. And I never wanted to ever have give her the opportunity to come back and say, you know what, you messed up. We should have really asked for more money mm-hmm. than this. I didn't want that opportunity. I wanted her to never be able to say that and have us just say yes. And so that's what we did. And wow, we were in debt most of the years we were married. You know, and we had a long marriage. But we always went into our credit line and improved the company with new machinery. We were very innovative in the industry. We purchased other small companies. We had an LLC with real estate and were renting properties. So we really did do a great job. What was the size of the company, just for perspective, when you first got a job there? And what is it today? Well, four years ago, we sold it. Okay. And I'm not, we sold it to Milwaukee Tool. I'm not really sure how many employees they have. But when I started, it was around 200. And when I ended, it was about three and 300. And we were an international company. Right. We sold all over the world. Empire Level is the name of the yes, company. Yeah. Right. So we private branded for uh, Craftsman at the beginning was our largest customer. So that's Sears. So there is no Craftsman factory out there. We put the Craftsman on Craftsman. <laughs> and we worked with other. Our salesmen were great. We implemented a, a procedure that you no longer got a bonus for the amount of sales you produced. You got a a bonus for, and this was very new in those days, your bonus was directly connected to the profit in the company. And so they went out very hard to try and sell and get the profit of the company out. Sell at the right price, not just sell. Yes. And then all of a sudden they were paying a little bit more attention to me because with those rates and everything, they couldn't oversell something if I couldn't produce it because we could lose the client. Um, So I became more valuable in the sales eyes too. So when I asked you earlier about what was going through your mind when you had the opportunity to buy the company first 60% and then Mm -hmm. the remaining 40%, um, and you said, you know, I just knew we could do it. That I, I want to use that as a transition to kind of get into um, your experience as um, with as a as with as 
dyslexic, sorry. Yeah. I even had a hard time saying it then. Um, because I, I feel like for you and some of the other sort of famous people that are dyslexic as well, yep. that what, what was at first appeared to be a negative, which is not doing well in a traditional learning environment, right. Right. ends up becoming an amazing positive Mm-hmm. Because maybe, um, because you didn't fit in that box, I'll call it. You didn't fit in a box of traditional learning. Maybe you never had a box at all. Well, I and don't think I do have a box, so and I don't think anyone has to have a box. Yeah. I I think there is no box, and I tell everyone that because if you say you're thinking out of the box. You imagine a box, but it has an exit. So you've already put yourself in the box. And it's almost like escaping. So I say there is no box. And and I believe that. I love that. Thinking out of the box means you're in a box looking for a door or an, an escape. Exit, an, an escape, an escape. That's great. What's going to get you out of here? Only something else from the outside. So I prefer to think there is no box and how is having not having how for you has not having a box ended up being when it didn't seem maybe like it would early in your life being um, actually a key to what you've been able to accomplish well it, it freed me thinking that way to allow myself to be creative with anything I do. So business, interior design, photography, my nonprofit, I use my creativity, which dyslexic people are creative people. And I should tell you, how did I discover I'm dyslexic? I was 53 years old. And I knew my youngest daughter was. I had her tested when she was in second grade. And coincidentally, second grade is about when it hits. Blue-eyed blondes, but mostly men or boys have it. Oh, is that right? I didn't know that it was. Okay. Yep. And um, because she had her first daughter, Okay, she had her first daughter, and I knew all the difficulties she had. And she was in; she had a tutor forever, all through school. When she was 16 and she got a convertible, she's still mad at me because I sent her to Spanish immersion camp because that's the only way she could learn and get into college. So um, I got tested. I was trying to take the blame off of her. That don't think you're stupid. It comes from me. It's it's hereditary. Mm. It comes from me. And you should have your own daughter tested because you should know when she goes into school the best way for her to learn. And that's the only reason. I, I thought I just was kind of a quirky person. I was just going to ask you, what did you think was that, going yeah, on? Yeah, I thought I was quirky, kind of odd. You know, I was always doing things differently and not very smart. So when you got tested, what, I mean, I guess it validated um, or confirmed that you have this, this gift. Mm-hmm. Thank um, you for saying that because it is a gift. 
But what else did it do for you? Did it change anything for you? Did it? Well, um, it was a relief to me. It got me. you talking about it. It got me talking right. about it, and it was a relief for me to be able to tell my daughter, this isn't your fault. This came from me. And I might have got it from somebody else that, unfortunately, I don't even know in my family. But um, so it was a relief. Um, and I didn't do much about it or think much about it or study it for a while. I mean, I was like the typical person that thought spelling, reading, writing, math, all problems, you know, and you belong in a special class. And I was just like everybody else. Well, that's so far from the truth. Um, there's 37 different points. And if you have about 10 of them, you're dyslexic. When I started studying this, I asked my assistant to read the points. And I said, how many of these do you think I have? She goes, gee, you got almost all of them. <laughs> well, there's not a prize for this, Susie. You don't have to tell everybody that I got almost all of them. But as I went farther on, I discovered that most architects, engineers, artists, and problem solvers are dyslexics. And Einstein and Bill Gates and all these famous people that we think of as just so intelligent and they're motivational to us and inspiring they're dyslexic people, right. and dyslexics um, are born with a normal IQ to a genius IQ. They're somewhere in there. They are not a slow learner. What the situation is, from the time we hear something until we process it, is a lot longer, yeah, almost twice as long as a traditional learner. But that's because the way we process things is we look at every single side of the story or the problem, where a traditional learner might find the answer really quickly, but they've only looked at it on one side. So take your architect and your engineer, and if you put them together and you're lucky enough to have a dyslexic engineer, and maybe I already told you this story, but it's so easy to me, that you're going to build a beautiful building because the engineer is creative and he's going to make sure that everything that has to be handicap accessible is going to look as beautiful as if it was a traditional bathroom where the architect is concerned about the overall beauty but might not be as into some of those finer details. Dyslexics are sensitive right. and they're creative and they like to surround themselves with beautiful things. Um, so uh, the what I really would like to talk about, anybody can go on, can Google dyslexics and find out if they have any of these 37 issues, but um, the gifts we have, there's eight of them, and 
all dyslexics have these in common. Um, maybe not to the same degree, but they all have these things in common. We can all utilize our brain to the ability to alter and create perceptions. We are highly aware of our environment. We are more curious than the average person. We think mainly in pictures instead of words, and I mean pictures. I visualize when I can't spell a word, a blackboard with that word on it. Mm. Um, we're highly intuitive um, and insightful. We think and perceive multidimensionally using all of our senses. Um, we can experience through reality. Um, so if I've done something in the past and I can remember it, I can re-experience that and still think of maybe come up with a better way I could have done that or um, just be happy that I figured it out. We're, mm. we're into reality. Um, and we have very vivid imaginations. <laughs> yeah, so, it's almost like you, you may not be able to come up with um, an answer to something quickly that someone else could because they have an ability to or a restriction to sort of rote memorize things or mm -hmm. make associations. Where right. Instead, your brain, even regardless of the question, is exploring so many different things at the same time. Yes. That it, it seems like you're slower, but you're actually, um, you're, you're actually considering the, 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 the challenge from a, a bunch of different right. ways simultaneously. Yes. And, yes. And that can make it look like I'm not paying attention. But I'm really, really concentrating. And so I might not even hear what you're saying because I'm two steps ahead of you right, right. on trying to figure this problem out. Yeah. Well, Peg, uh, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. And I know we didn't get to, like, not even half of your story, so I'd like to have you back at some time. And we can oh, I'd love to. do the rest of that. But thank you so much for sharing not just the story of you as you said, you've achieved, you've accomplished a lot, but you don't feel successful. I love that. Um, but having started from where you started and ending up where you are, whether you define it as accomplishments or whether you define it as something else, it's a model that is inspirational. At least I feel like it's inspirational. Well, thank you. And then to help us understand uh, dys dyslexia better, and how um, it's been both, uh, uh, you know, in some ways, a punishment in mm -hmm. your life, and then in other ways, just the most, uh, um, the, 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 the best gift you could have had is really, I've found that fascinating, yeah. and I'm, I'm just so happy you shared it. Do I have a few seconds to say something yeah, else sure that's important? Do. Okay. This is something I wrote after I spoke at a nonprofit, and I told them my entire story. My mother's voice runs deep. Now her voice is my voice, our voice. It's been so long since I've had contact that most of the time I hear myself. 
It's ingrained, and we speak together. It's our story. I am the storyteller, and one day my daughters will tell their story. It will come from their voice, and the weight of the story will be theirs. I truly hope they tell their story. Many people will benefit from the family that has mental health issues. I also do not in any way look at these as negative. My mother, myself, were thrivers. We're not survivors. We thrived. Mm. And we chose our own path and not an easy path. I learned from her path, and my daughters will learn from mine. Their children will also learn. Looking back, nothing is easy. Many mistakes were made, but mistakes are lessons. Life is flawed. Nothing's perfect. Take advantage of that and create your own future. But more importantly, allow yourself to keep moving forward, making mistakes, and solving them. That's fantastic. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the How'd It Happen podcast, where we believe that success doesn't happen unless you make it happen. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. And while you're there, please rate it and leave a comment as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts about the show, ideas for future guests, or whatever you'd like to share. And of course, you can always find me at MikeMalatesta.com. See you next time. Thanks again for listening to the How'd It Happen podcast.